0: Let us pray. Chatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. There is anything said from this pulpit that is not according to your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. I don't know how you went about getting your driver's license. I went about getting my driver's license by going back and forth in... My driveway. We had a long driveway. Push the clutch in, put it in reverse. Hand over the passenger side headrest. We had no little camera, you know. Look over your shoulder, clutch out, gas down, back up. Brake. clutch. First gear, clutch gas, second gear. Okay, over and over again. That's how I went about getting my license. These days, I feel so old saying right? <laughs> These days, our children, they go to a class, and then they have to amass something like 50 hours of driving with their parents, and then they go and take a test to see if they can get their license. Now, I imagine that many parents use those 50 hours as a way to build confident drivers. You know, let them tool around sleepy back roads and familiar neighborhoods. Not my daughter. Oh, no, that's not how we do it. Instead, my daughter, my whole family, I should say, enjoyed the hair-raising experience of helping her to amass some hours driving to Maine last week. And I say hair-raising because my fault. I didn't realize how close we were to Cleveland when I put her in the driver's seat. And it was night. It was nighttime. Sorry, Grace. Let's just say we all learned a lot that night. I especially learned that people don't drive any better when you're screaming at them. (laughs) It's true. Now, I should have learned that a long time ago. I should have learned that when I taught Grace's sister Lily how to ride a bike. Now, I don't know how you learned how to ride a bike, but I was put on the bike, and I was pushed down the hill, and told to pedal hard. <laughs> and so I tried that over and over again. How many times did she fall? How many scrapes did she endure? How many disappointing looks did she earn? Countless I admit it. And at one point, we finally, we were so disgusted with ourselves, with each other, I threw our hands up in the air, she was crying, I was ashamed of myself, and we went inside. Pedal hard. Work hard. Get it right. Push through. Pedal hard. That language still echoes. It's still part of our inner narrative. It's implanted there, maybe by our fathers, our mothers, that inner self, pedal hard. And we perpetuate the narrative, we perpetuate the echo as we chastise one another, pedal hard. That's That's how you get going. I'm going to tell you the trick. I'm going to tell you the trick of how to get going. And it's not pedal hard. If you were here on Christmas Eve at 8.30 and 11, you heard me thread together the stories of Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and and what they held in common. And that is that none of them would have been, to anyone there, worthy of something like the Incarnation. Right? Joseph wasn't worthy because of his family tree that we read at the very beginning of Matthew. We read all about it. Mary wouldn't have been worthy because she's unwed, she's pregnant. The shepherds wouldn't have been worthy because of their place in society. None of them would have been worthy, and yet the child is born to them. We are not telling their story 2,000 years after the fact because, you know, they earned it. They peddled hard. We're telling their story 2,000 years after they lived it because God intended to rewrite the script through them. It was God's choice. And he, he, and he intended to extend this understanding of how he loved and who his gift of new life is intended for He intended to do that and extend it way beyond our expectations, and he does that. He does that through Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. And that theme continues in today's scripture. See, it might have been that some of those very first readers would have read about the the inclusion through Jesus of the tainted Joseph, the scandalized Mary, and the bottom feeders, the shepherds, it might have been that they could have accepted that. Up until now, the story of Jesus is the story of the renewal of the Jewish community. But then Matthew writes chapter 2. See, in today's verses, these magi from the east, probably Babylon or something, They're traveling across the country, the countryside, through places like Cleveland, I'm sure, following a star, and they arrive in Bethlehem to see this baby Jesus. And when they do, the original readers will once again have been challenged by who God loves and who this gift of new life is intended for. Why do I say that? Listen, Dale Bruner notes that official Israel deeply despised the magician astrologers of the Gentiles, and felt that God had rescued his people from the tyranny of the stars and from those who claimed to know their secrets. Biblically faithful Israel felt about the Magi roughly the way Theological orthodoxy feels about New Age spirituality. So throughout the scripture, from Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah, Daniel, Acts, you can see all throughout scripture we're being warned about these magi. Forget peddling hard. These are a community of people that have been peddling against Israel. They're part of the problem. They're in bed with the empire, right? They're purveyors of this science that threatens the fabric of their entire belief system. And so you can see why this would have been very jarring to see right here in Matthew 2, so early in the narrative, fresh on the heels, by the way, of this broadening of the story to include the lowliest of their own kind, this inclusion of those that were very much unlike them. It, it would have been jarring for them to see that God, God loves them and not only loves them, God intends to include these magi in the story of his enterprise. What? They don't even know the Apostles' Creed by heart. They don't know what the word doxology means. They don't really get our dress code. They speak a language that we call foreign. But then do you see what happens in the story? Beautiful. Do you see what happens to the magi once they are in the presence of God over and against those that would keep them out because they don't know what it means to be in the tribe the way that others have expected them to be in the tribe. Do you see what happens to the Magi? Beautiful. It's something we should want for everyone. See, before they encounter Jesus. they're called in by Herod, like into the principal's office. And Herod tells them that once they go and see the baby Jesus, he wants them to bring back information about the future usurper so that he also can go and and worship him. Yeah, right. We know with the benefit of hindsight that he's up to something sinister, but we're not given any indication in the scripture that that the magi disbelieve Him or intend to deceive Him. But then they go and they visit Jesus and they can't help but worship Him and give Him gifts. And then they go to sleep and they're warned in a dream to go and do something else, to be changed in their lives. And they do, they get up and they go home by another way. They are fundamentally changed because of this experience they've had with the presence of God. Isn't that something that we should want for anyone? Isn't it something that we should want so badly that we're willing to break down everything that we know about what it means to be in our tribe so that they can experience the very presence of God? I think so. Did you notice what happens with what we call these people that visit Jesus. The Greek calls them the Magi. A lot of translations call them Magi as well. Our translation, the NRSV, says the wise men. I actually think both can be accurate. I think it's fine that the scripture calls them the Magi because that is um, illustrative of how their lives were before they met Jesus. This is what they've done in their lives. This is what they've earned, how they've peddled hard. They've become magi, astrologers. They know about the stars. But then once they meet Jesus, see, I think then it's okay. It's perfectly fine to give them a new name to begin calling them the wise ones. And so I wanna offer you this question for discernment. If you were to meet yourself one year from now, and let's assume that you go through this year and you find yourself encountering Jesus. If you were to meet yourself one year from now, what word would you hope to have attached to your name? The Herod was known as the Great. Because for Herod, it was all about him and his greatness. And that was a way that led to destruction. The Magi became known as the wise, because they found a new center in the person of Jesus. That's the trick, by the way. I told you I would tell you the trick to get going. Find your center. It's the trick to riding a bike and teaching a kid to ride a bike without screaming at them, too. On that day that my daughter and I had that dust up, I went to Google and I searched how to teach a kid to ride a bike. And do you know what you do? You take the pedals off. and teach any kid to ride a bike. Just take the pedals off and let them sit on the bike and scoot around and kind of coast you know and they find their center and then you can put the pedals back on and they just go off and they ride the bike that's the trick to getting going find your center and if you want to get going like the magi did get going going home another way find your center in Jesus Today at our annual meeting, we will elect new officers, elders, deacons, and trustees. And we also say thank you to those that have served as elders, deacons, and trustees for three years and have helped us as a community to find our center in Jesus and to get us going. We say thank you to Linda, the leader, who spearheaded a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, To Bob, the brave, who led our personnel committee through years of transition. If you don't think that takes bravery. To Buzz, the buoyant, who carried the weight of Men of the Kirk membership and music committees. Jan, the generous, who has guided the outreach and mission team and helped to establish Accent Pontiac. Randy, the resourceful who created new energy about annual giving in our church finances. How about a trustee? Jim, the jack of all trades, who has cared for our facility by way of everything from security to cement. Carol, the caring, who is one of those people that serves but can't help but smile the whole time. Sue, the seamstress, a deacon who has created quilts for those experiencing illness. And Allison, the awesome, if you know Allison, you know what I mean. (laughs) So let me stop right there and ask you again. If you could meet yourself on January 1, 2020, how would you like to be introduced? Carrie the kind, Gary the gladsome, Heather the heartfelt. Pray about your word. Pray about it. Discover it. Share it with one another. Live into this. You don't have to alliterate. I'll let you off the hook there. But you do have to find your center in the same place that the Magi did. Take the petals off probably been pedaling too hard anyway. Take them off. You don't have to be all things to all people. You don't, you know, have to try to do everything that social media tells you you have to do, reading all the books. This one book a week thing is just crazy. You don't have to burn all the calories and run all the miles. You need to take the pedals off and you need to find your center if you want to get going. Get on the same bike that the Magi did. Its handlebars are synced with the star and the tires roll to Bethlehem. You'll find that new center and another way home. Amen.